0: folks, today we're going to alter course a bit. I think we all get a little myopic at times focusing on all the zoomy and boomy things in the Air Force arsenal. So instead, today we're going to take a look at a little discussed component of the Total Force, the Civil Air Patrol. I'm not going to lie, going into this, I thought the CAP was only about finding lost hikers and old guys teaching teenagers how to fly. But that's the great thing about this gig, I get to sit down with some of the Air Force's most senior leaders, and I get smartened up real quick about their missions. I think you're going to be as surprised as I was, not only by the amazing history and origins of the CAP, but also by the wide variety of capabilities and talent that it provides not only to state and national agencies, but to the Air Force as well. In fact, a list of the past and present CAP members reads like an Air Force Hall of Fame roster. i not going to ruin the surprise. I'll let the big boss tell you who they are. So after some minor technical difficulties, we sat down with CAP National Commander Major General Marky e. Smith. I'm Joe Eddins, and this is the Airman Podcast. Again, one more time. Hi. Major General Smith, good to see you.
1: It's great to be able to spend some time with you. Yeah,
0: so... Um, so let's quickly talk about, uh, talk about how you got to be commander of the Civil Air Patrol, um, national commander of the Civil Air Patrol. Um, obviously, you've had a very, very long and varied career. So maybe tell me a little bit about how you got, got started in being interested in flight and uh, where that took you.
1: Of course, this is a long time ago because I am a person of a certain age, we'll say. Uh, but from the time that I was a little bit a kid, I told the family that I wanted to grow up and be an Air Force fighter pilot. That was my dream as a kid. And this is back in the day, of. there's always interesting things at Edwards Air Force Base, and I grew up not too far from Edwards and from China Lake Naval Air Station. And in the days of the X-15 and sonic booms and all sorts of fun stuff going on, I went That's what I want to do. Um, The reality was that I lived in a little bitty camping trailer behind an auto garage in a town that if you counted all the ranches was about 135 people out in the desert of California. Uh, And the family dynamics not particularly healthy and so there was not going to be any way that these types of dreams were going to be realized. When I went to high school in the town of Lone Pine, California, 23 miles away, there was a fellow who was a Korean War-era veteran Air Force fighter pilot, found out what my interests were. Uh, He was the area liaison for the Air Force Academy. He mentored me through the process to apply to go to the Academy. I was accepted. I actually graduated and went to pilot training and uh, this is back in the day started out in the F-4 uh, and then ultimately into the F-15 where I spent most of my time as well so I love to talk to young people about the power of mentorship because it's something that made a fundamental difference in my life to be able to achieve my, uh, my life goal as who, well.
0: Who, who was that Sabre Jock?
1: Uh, he, he was uh, uh, Air Force Reserve Major Ray Powell uh, he uh, be, ultimately became Lieutenant Colonel Ray Powell, and he was the, uh, the positive influence in my life. <clears throat> of course, until I got married, right? Then I had another one. But uh, <clears throat> he was the positive influence in my life up through when I was promoted to colonel within the Air Force before he passed. Uh, but uh, he was somebody, uh, we all have people, I think, that we can go back and uh, go, that person made a fundamental difference in my life and Ray Powell was that person for me. Uh, Twenty-six years in the Air Force, uh, industry afterwards, other nonprofits. Uh, served as my wife's caregiver for several years, and uh, uh, doing Civil Air Patrol on the side. Um, wing Commander, Region Commander, and then into this job. I did not have any, uh, uh, it, it was not on my radar scope to do the job. I was, uh, you might say encouraged to apply for the position. And I went, Uh, I was finally bid into submission, put a package in, here we are. Best job in the world, it's amazing. Uh, The opportunity to work with uh, uh, the 61,500 volunteers that we have who are passionate about serving community, state, and nation as volunteer airmen. Uh, We have an amazing staff as well. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to be able to serve in this capacity.
0: So you kind of breezed through the 26 years in the Air Force. That included a couple of combat tours. Maybe talk about that too. Uh,
1: my, uh, my combat time was uh, Desert Storm. Uh, I was part of the first fighter wing. And so uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, operating out of Dahran. And uh, uh, I was, at the time, I was the uh, assistant chief of Stanoval leading up to Desert Shield. Uh, one of our additional duties is, if a contingency comes up, is for getting the uh, uh, deployment gone, uh, the, uh, the airplanes and, and the, uh, the pilots. So we deployed uh, 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 48 aircraft, and my boss, the chief of Stanoval, wrangled his way on the, on the flight lineup and they go and I'm still sitting at Langley going something's wrong with this picture and it took me a couple more weeks to get actually get over there to the desert and uh, they gave me uh, some some folks and said okay turn them into a flight uh, a four-ship flight uh, that's combat ready we did that over the course of Desert Shield and then Desert Storm uh, we employed as a four shipper multiples of four ships during the course of uh, Desert Shield as well.
0: Right. so. Maybe tell me a little bit about what your duties are now, what it is that you do with the Civil Air Patrol.
1: Yeah, I'll first say that uh, we have people from absolutely every walk of life. Uh, It is amazing, Uh, and that's one of the the riches of this organization. When I first joined, based on my background, I wasn't sure if this was going to be a good fit for me and what happened is i fell in love with the people these are amazing people who are given of their time treasure and talents uh, to serve community state and nation so back to your question uh, uh, my particular duties uh, uh, first is to remember that civil air patrol is is fully the auxiliary of the air force and it is fully a congressionally chartered nonprofit corporation as well so in my position i am fully the national commander the person what's in charge of this uh, military looking type of structure but I'm also the chief executive officer for this large uh, nonprofit corporation as well. Uh, So uh, from the business perspective, I'm working with the chief operating officer uh, and uh, with the 135 paid employees and about uh, another 75 to 80 uh, volunteers at the national level for the staff, uh, all the resources that we have, uh, the budgeting, the strategic planning, all that type of thing, and then working in kind with the, the volunteers as a one team concept uh, for, in our pursuit of excellence in performing our missions, our three congressionally chartered missions uh, for as the Air Force auxiliary in support of the Air Force, federal level, state level, local level, where we can help make a difference.
0: So I think we'll certainly be talking about current missions, which I think are gonna surprise a lot of people. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the history of um, the origins of the Civil Air Patrol. I think that might surprise a few people too.
1: It's a wonderful story. Thanks for asking about that. Um, the, uh, the individuals who played the key part of, uh, uh, of starting Civil Air Patrol had, had their beginnings as war fighters in the First World War. Uh, Gil Rob Wilson is the one that we talk about a lot. Uh, he and his brother were uh, World War One era aviators uh, for the uh, uh, for the U.S. Uh, Gil Rob Wilson saw his brother go down in flames. It burned into his uh, his psyche uh, the uh, you know uh, what war is all about. Uh, uh, he and folks like him, uh, between the wars and with the rise of Nazi Germany and fascism around the world, became concerned about uh, the United States's uh, entry into a conflict. They could see no way that the U.S. would not be involved in some sort of global conflict, and they went. There's got to be w- a way that we can help. Uh, uh, there is. Uh, uh, here's a name that a lot of folks have heard about, LaGuardia, uh, who is mayor of, United, of uh, New York. He was also in charge of the federal-level civil defense efforts. And so you, back in the day of the civil defense. But in this case, it's uh, a, a bunch of volunteers, folks like uh, Gilrob Wilson, folks like uh, Secretary Wilson's grandfather, uh, who went, what can we do as aviators to help the cause. If we get into conflict, uh, what can we do to help? To relieve the pressure on military to put their resources where they need to be, things that we can do. And so they worked with LaGuardia. Ultimately, uh, it was chartered, uh, Civil Air Patrol uh, was chartered on the 1st of December 1941, just six days before Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was people paying their own way, providing their own aircraft. Uh, and uh, and doing amazing things to help the next year the 1st of October 1942 was the start of our cadet program within Civil Air Patrol and a lot of young people who wanted to be actively engaged in doing something to help make a difference for that war effort uh, were wearing Civil Air Patrol uniforms and, uh, and learning the basics, many of them going on to serve in the military. We had individuals that went on to be uh, uh, Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, we had uh, individuals, uh, uh, ladies who uh, flew with the uh, uh, the WAFs uh, uh, later in the war. We had Colonel uh, Gail Halverson, the uh, uh, who everybody knows from the Berlin airlift and the uh, the Berlin the candy bomber, if you will, had his start as a CAP cadet. Uh, but uh, during those especially during the initial dark days when we were building up our our resources on the military side of the house one of the biggest things that, there were a lot of big things but one of them was uh... how the german u-boats would come right in close to shore and would be sinking the uh, the oil tankers uh... and uh, we were losing significant numbers of tankers uh... to these u-boat uh... attacks and uh... what happened was civil air patrol was asked to perform coastal patrols and looking for these uh, German U-boats and uh, attacked many of them but uh, the bottom line uh, result was uh, the German U-boats uh, were forced offshore uh, which resulted in being able to uh uh, uh solve that problem of all these uh, ships being sunk lots of other missions as well search and rescue fire courier service towing targets uh, for gunnery practice those types of things anything that we could do to help uh with the uh, the war effort uh we may not be towing uh, targets anymore uh, but we still are helping with air defense and so that might talk about that uh, for a moment absolutely uh we uh, one of the things that our air defenders need uh, for the aircraft F15s F16s and the like uh who are in air defense uh, uh missions uh one of the most challenging things that they can uh, practice on is low and slow flying targets and we're a perfect choice for that uh so multiple times a week throughout the the course of the year we'll be uh, performing as a, an intruder uh in a low and slow airplane who's going into airspace that they shouldn't be and it's an opportunity to exercise that air defense capability, not only for the detection, but the, uh, the scrambling and the, uh, the vectoring of the, uh, of the fighters and ultimately uh, the intercepting. And, uh, and uh, that's
0: 9-11. That happens right here over the Chesapeake Bay. Isn't that true?
1: It does. Uh, we have missions that happen right here in the National Capital Region that uh, help exercise the, uh, the resources who are responsible for the defense of this particular airspace. Every 10 months out in uh, Fort Bliss, El Paso, Texas, uh, we do a a similar thing, uh, Falcon Virgo is the name of it, to where it's uh, preparing the air defenders, getting them trained up, and they deploy here to the National Capital Region uh, to be able to perform those air defense missions. Uh, so that's, that's a big one. Search and rescue has certainly gone all the way up from, uh, uh, from World War II to the present as well. Uh, there were during, during World War II, there were border patrol missions along our southern border. That has not stopped. We work with Customs and Border Patrol agents uh, multiple times a week at differing times to keep it not predictable, uh, but we'll fly Border Patrol missions all the way to uh, uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California with a Customs and Border Patrol agent on the, on the plane communications to the ground and helping to, to safeguard uh, uh, the border. Uh, there's a, uh, and, and then the, the basic theme of what can we do to help our Air Force uh, in, uh, in relieving them from the use of their resources that we can do uh, uh, not only to, uh, to save them with the resources, but also a much more uh, cost-efficient manner. And that ranges from uh, uh, us having Aircraft that are mod- modified with a predator sensor ball on it to where we can emulate being a predator, provide those, that intelligence feed data and communications to our battlefield warriors for the training that they need, given that the actual unmanned aerial systems are a precious resource being used air, uh, elsewhere. Uh, from that level of uh, high fidelity, if you will, all the way down to doing uh, uh, surveys of military low-level flying routes, range sweeps, uh, uh, chasing uh, unmanned aerial aircraft from their uh, National Guard base through controlled airspace into the military operating areas. Uh, The federal uh, aviation authorities Uh, agency, rather, uh, still wants a see-and-avoid set of eyeballs going through that controlled space. So that's just a smattering kind of a sampling of some of the different Air Force related missions that we continue to do. And you can trace that lineage all the way back to what we did in World War II.
0: And I mean, there certainly is a savings as far as assets. You were talking about the RPA community. They certainly need (coughs) all hands on deck 24 hours a day, 365. Right, But there's additional savings and operating costs. It's a heck of a lot cheaper to fly a 172 than it is to put a predator up in the air, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely, and if you look at uh, disaster response uh, and the use of military resources, uh, if you look at search and rescue, look at the, uh, the hourly cost of operating anything from a, a C-130 to a UAV uh, to different helicopters, uh, the cost is pretty significant, and that's just making the resource available in the first place, plus the operating and main and maintenance cost on an hourly basis. You know, on average about one hundred and sixty five hour uh, dollars per hour uh, for a CAP airplane it varies a little bit on the type of airplane, and of course, the volunteers are volunteers they're unpaid professionals uh, who are passionate about going out and and doing these types of things. So we're a very cost-efficient option for the Air Force and for other agencies who may need some of those types of capabilities that we can bring to the table.
0: As far as strict monetization goes, as far as uh, being able to take responsibilities for certain kinds of missions for the Air Force, is there a general bang for the buck number that Mm -hmm. exists for what the Civil Air Patrol in terms of your budget and what the Air Force gets back?
1: Yes, it's about a 4 to 1 return on investment and that uses uh, the same type of methodology that nationwide uh, volunteer nonprofit organizations do as a as a metric by which, you know, what's the monetary value of volunteer hours. And so just based on that, the volunteer hours is about a 4 to 1 investment or return on investment uh for the amount of uh, air force dollars that we get so that's one way of looking at it of course uh when you look at specific platforms and missions you have the relative op- uh, operating and maintenance costs between one of our platforms versus uh, an air force or a coast guard platform that type of thing and there's huge differences there but in general terms four to one and as you started out with uh, with your question is it's hard to quantify some other things uh... uh the cost of a life saved uh, hundred and fifty eight lives saved this last year uh... the cost of uh... Of preparing young people for uh... uh being success as uh, the next generation of leaders
0: so one of the other uh... large issues that the air force has been facing is getting pilots into the pipeline um certainly i think that most people when they (coughs) think of the civil air patrol certainly think of teenagers getting their wings Mm -hmm. um and learning to serve their country at an early age but where how does the civil air patrol fit in and kind of not only Traditional cockpit pilots, but now RPA pilots, those kind of things.
1: That's yeah, uh, it's a great topic, and uh, uh, certainly the the Air Force, uh, the Chief, that's one of his uh, top priorities, and uh, and uh, with the Air Force pilot shortage, of of course, is a uh, a subset of the uh, the larger. Worldwide shortage of pilots that uh, that everybody is facing. So what can the Air Force do about it? Uh, as the civilian auxiliary, uh, we have a seat at the table t- for helping to think through this through and to be part of the solution as well. And if you can imagine feeding a funnel, if you will, it's not a linear pipeline, but feeding a funnel to where Civil Air Patrol, as what you might refer to as a pre-accession program. Uh, can start right down there with kids and get them excited about STEM-related materials, a broad base uh, excitement and engagement with uh, STEM-related things. With an emphasis on aviation and aerospace and those types of things. As that bubbles up, uh, then we have uh, kids who are interested in flying. As Civil Air Patrol cadets, uh, they have the opportunity to receive orientation flights, both powered and glider as well, at no cost to, to them. Uh, and then uh, uh, for the kids who are really motivated, they have the opportunity to attend one of our flight academies, again, powered. Or, or glider. Uh, for the young people who have done well, shown the aptitude, can get a physical, do uh, in uh, the ground uh, uh, test for the FAA ticket, uh, we have the means by which to take them all the way through uh, and uh, fund them for getting their private pilot's license and continue to fly them as they work towards getting into an accession program, whether it's ROTC or the Air Force Academy or into OTS, uh, and then ultimately into the Air Force as well. So, uh, you know, a, a broad base recognizing that, you know, some of them will, uh, will, will move towards wanting to fly, uh, giving them those flying activities, and ultimately uh, getting as many as we can their, their wings as well. But uh, the Air Force is invested in us to help make that happen. Uh, the money is used in a different number of different ways to facilitate that, uh, but just talking about the flying part of it, it's what can we do to help make the flying more affordable for all of these young people, the flight academies. Uh, what can we do to provide uh, opportunities uh, for kids who uh, underprivileged underserved who would not otherwise have the opportunity uh... to go to a flight academy or learn to fly and that Scholars- helps
0: with the air force's desire for diversity i would think
1: exactly so. right uh... and then ultimately having the money to take these kids all the way through uh, getting their tickets and continuing to fly them uh, so that they have ever increasing levels of proficiency uh, before they ultimately can uh, can move into the, into the military.
0: You mentioned science, technology, engineering, math, um, we're a very different air force now. Certainly um, is. and those science and technology and engineering and math skills certainly go many different directions that the air force is in need of. So mm. maybe talk about how you support those programs from robotics Absolutely. to cyber.
1: <clears throat> yeah. And let me talk, uh, from, two different perspectives because you know civil air patrol has those three missions we talk about emergency services and that's where the big part of the operations the flying is and we have the cadet program as well and we have the aerospace education so when it comes to stem number one and number two oh by the way Career areas of emphasis for the Air Force that we uh, can help cadets explore, which touches on STEM as well, uh, really go uh, covers parts of two of the mission areas: uh, aerospace education and cadet programs. So, if I can talk about those just a little bit and sure. see how that uh, that fits again looking to inspire a broader base within civil air patrol aerospace education we work with the cadets and really get them fired up about uh, aviation aerospace those types of things they're exposed to cyber they're exposed to weather, they're exposed to everything that's related in areas of interest to the Air Force as well. Uh, external for aerospace education, <coughs> we work hard with, uh, with teachers in schools providing STEM related materials uh, to teachers that they can turn around and use in the classroom and that expands the reach. It's part of the charter that we have to have an impact nationwide to the best of our resource abilities uh to uh, to help young people in stem related uh, uh things and uh we have uh 15 different stem kits 40 different uh, aerospace education materials and resources that they can use and the stem kits range all the way from uh uh if you will fluid mechanics to robotics to computer programming to rockets, to airplanes, to unmanned systems, all sorts of things, because different people get motivated by different things, and there's something there uh, for for most everybody that's going to get them excited. Just on that external part for aerospace education, we currently have an impact of some 400,000 young people per year uh, through teachers and into the classroom, and our five-year goal is to exceed a million of uh, kids who are benefiting from these things so that's the aerospace education piece now for the cadet program and it circles back to the question that you're asking uh... there's uh... uh the cadet programs the basics are uh, uh... leadership character aerospace education physical fitness are the basic elements of that cadet program but uh... for career opportunities for that are of interest to the air force uh, we have what's uh, the cadets will be doing their thing in their local squadrons they'll have the opportunity to go to an encampment and that's a good leadership and self-development type of thing they'll have the opportunity for their orientation rides uh, they'll have the opportunity for flight schools and we talked about that but there's about fifty different types of what we call National cadet special activities that are available for cadets. And they run a huge spectrum. And many of these are in career areas that are of interest to the Air Force. And it ranges from uh, uh, mechanics, uh, working on the factory floor, helping to put airplanes together that might be coming to Civil Air Patrol, um, cyber, cyber academies to where cadets are exposed. To the uh, that whole career field of cyber defense, and many of them who go into that arena to include the Air Force as well, robotics, uh, civil engineering, learning uh, uh, about civil engineering, uh, space, introduction to pilot training. Uh, there's uh, there's a bunch of them uh, to include the uh, uh, pararescue community, uh, the uh, the PJs who are our uh, wonderful community and very inspiring to everybody but to include our cadets and we have a great relationship with the PJ community and we have a basic course and advanced course to where the PJ's and members of our Civil Air Patrol staff have put programs together to where these cadets can get a, a flavor of uh what that pj experience is all the way from uh, uh from the the medical aspect for what the pjs do to being inserted out in the woods and having to uh uh to self navigate and take care of yourself and the complete spectrum of the uh, the, the PJ experience. Uh, so uh, through that way, we're able to inspire young people towards uh, STEM-related things, whether it's flying or not. And then there's specifically there's cadet special activities that allow them to explore potential careers, many of which the Air Force are interested in.
0: Great. Okay, so yeah, obviously the PJ aspect is something I think people would not really expect to, to talk about. The other part of it, I think, is exposure to partner nations, international uh, experience.
1: I'm glad you brought up the, uh, uh, the point about uh, the international aspect. Uh, one of the uh, most amazing programs that Civil Air Patrol gets to participate in is called the International Air Cadet Exchange Program. Uh, There are something like uh, 17 different participating nations involved in that, ranging from Australia to China to Hong Kong, over to uh, Belgium, uh, the United Kingdom, Israel, Canada, lots of uh, a a huge wide variety of countries that participate in this partnership. And uh, you know, for Civil Air Patrol, are the folks that uh, are the participants on behalf of the United States and it's our cadets. Uh, Very selective process because we only have about 30 to 35 young people that we're we're able to send. Uh, But in a similar manner, other like countries will be sending the the same number of cadets, uh, young people who are into aviation. to all these different countries. We had cadets uh, this last year from, I uh, believe, seven different countries. And uh, it's uh, an amazing life-changing experience uh, for these uh, individuals. And one of the big things are, is not only you know, serving as ambassadors of the United States, uh, but developing the lifelong friendships uh, that, uh, of people that they interact with, uh, to include other young people.
0: Hey, we didn't talk about Legislative Day. Okay. Can we, can we chat about that a little bit? You, it's, it's, it's like a swarm of locusts. <laughs> but it's gotta be a fantastic <coughs> experience it is for these w- young people to really see how the sausage gets made.
1: It is a wonderful uh, experience, absolutely, for us big kids as well. Uh, a legislative Day, uh, roughly end of February, beginning of March each year uh we will bring about 500 civil air patrol folks uh here to the DC area and it includes a bunch of cadets as well uh, but what we do is we look for the opportunity to have a contingent of civil air patrol folks both adult and youth uh talk with uh every elected official uh both uh, on in the congress as well i'm sorry, in, in the house as well as in the senate and uh, uh, we're there. Really, the primary goal is to uh, uh, to educate and inform uh, those elected officials on, you know, uh, what civil air patrol is about. And and they, unless they're new, they and their staffers are are well versed in CAP. But what's going on? How's it going on back in their home districts for what CAP is doing? And it's an opportunity for, to advocate as well as needed. Now for the, uh, for the cadets, as you said, it's, it's an, an, a unique insight to see how that works. They get a basic understanding of, of budget, and we're talking the appropriated budget in this case. Uh, they, uh, they understand the budget that the Air Force puts in, sends to the White House, ultimately becomes the, uh, the President's budget that comes out and sometimes it's different. Uh, everybody gets a haircut, right, is the, the term that folks use in, in the budget process. Uh, everybody and everyone within the Air Force, every single office, they, need, they really need this much money to get the job done and guess where the budget is? It's usually somewhere down here. And Civil Air Patrol is no different than that so the cadets get to learn of those tensions and those differences and how the budgets are put together the cadets get to go in and uh, get a feel for how their elected official fits into that uh, uh that process on the uh, on the leg- on the congress side of the house as well and how about committees which committees are working different things both on the house side and the on and the senate side as well and have the impact, uh, have an opportunity to make an impact to that process. That's amazing stuff. And these cadets are are amazing and and they are wonderful ambassadors. When you get a cadet dressed up in their uniform and and, uh, take them to see their lawmaker, the lawmaker is going, I can see what good is coming out of this investment that's being made with Civil Air Patrol.
0: So let's kind of circle back here a little bit to search (coughs) and rescue. and and uh even kind of circling back to the u-boat missions of world war ii i mean back then it was technology it was it was eyes on the ball i mean your your eyes on if you can't see it with you know your peepers it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. um certainly technology has changed a good bit since then um maybe talk a little bit about how you fit into search and rescue operations whether they be on a local state uh federal level um do you participate in any with the Air Force? And what kind of technologies do you employ to, to accomplish those missions?
1: Well, thanks. Uh, that covers a broad front. Let me see if yeah, I can do justice time. to uh, to answering that question for you. Yeah, the technology has come light years. You know, Back in the day, it was needle ball and compass for flying an airplane, and it was eyes outside the cockpit for trying to find what you're looking for. And uh, to talk, just about the, let me talk search and rescue a little bit, and then talk about disaster response a little bit to, okay. uh, to illustrate how the technology has come along that really enables us to provide uh, a level of support and service to Air Force, FEMA, other emergency response and search and rescue that just wasn't possible before. On the search and rescue side of the house, until not that long ago, call it ten to fifteen years ago, it was the basics. It was a lot of airplanes, a lot of people, both flying the airplanes and on the ground as well, looking for a missing airplane, a missing person, or something like that. For days and days and days, uh, there uh, were very labor-intensive, very low-tech, uh, manual way of actually making that, uh, that happen. Now what we have today is radically different. And it's radically different in, in large degree, and I'm proud to say this, uh, because of technology that's been brought to bear by Civil Air Patrol volunteers. And two key areas. One is what we refer to as the National Radar Analysis Team. And these are a group of volunteers who have developed software that uh, takes uh, the, uh, the FAA radar returns and is able to fine tune that from the time that radar uh, returns are lost to really narrow down uh, the box to where. They have a higher degree of confidence where that missing airplane might be. The relationship that they have with FAA, based on their proven performance, uh, is so good that there is a direct linkage there between FAA and our our national radar analysis team to get them the information they need. So in turn, we can provide that information back to the folks who are looking for uh, for that missing airplane, uh, and it's uh, helped to. Uh, Uh, to find those folks much much quicker than in the past so that's one part the other part is what we call cell phone forensics team and uh, these are volunteers uh, who have been able to uh, uh, because of the great relationships that they have with cell providers get the proprietary data uh, from the cell providers to be able to do if you will, the triangulation, uh to but uh based on those little breadcrumbs every once in a while a uh, ping off a particular cell tower, uh to be able to to fine-tune down to a pretty small box where a messing person is. And that messing person could be an airplane, a messing hiker, a messing boater, ships, uh you name it. There's uh uh someone with uh who's wandered away from uh Uh, from a care facility, uh, perhaps has dementia or something like that. Uh, Every agency who's involved in finding someone who can't be found uh, is uh, is working through the Air Force uh, to get the use of cell phone forensics. As a result of these types of innovations, this technology that's been brought to board, uh, brought to bear, uh, we're able to normally find the folks within hours instead of days, uh, with much fewer resources that are in- incurred as well. Uh, therefore, it's resulted in many more saves, uh, as well as what it's we... A,
0: you had quite a few last year, correct? Yes,
1: uh, 158, uh, which is, since modern records have been kept, uh, is by, is the, the largest number of saves that we've had. Over 90% of those uh, had either or both cell phone forensics and the radar analysis uh, uh, team involved in making that happen
0: now db cooper just had a cell phone mystery (laughs) solved right (laughs) that's right we would have found
1: him out there someplace (laughs) on some caribbean island right spending his money but uh so that's the search and rescue part and if i can touch on the uh, disaster response side of the house as well uh, something that might be surprising to folks is to realize that Every time that there is a national disaster that happens, uh, whether it's a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, earthquake, whatever the case may be, uh, Civil Air Patrol is involved in that. Uh, the aerial imaging that you see, there is a good chance that that aerial image has been taken by, by Civil Air Patrol as well. We have folks in the air. Uh, we have ground teams as well who are supporting, even supporting shelters or handing out goods and that type of thing but let me talk about the airborne part of it again back in the day uh, uh, eyeballs out of the airplane looking at stuff Uh, cameras uh, more recently uh, with the the GPS to where we can stitch the cameras together to to get a mosaic for what's happening Uh, our biggest uh, user of those uh, capabilities is FEMA Uh, and uh, we're able to uh, uh, provide the imaging that uh, uh, FEMA needs to know where they need to put their resources. Now in more recent years, the uh, uh, the types of uh, technology that's come on board uh, are, uh, are uh, spectacular. Uh, we have uh, relatively, and these are commercial off-the-shelf, so that it's very affordable for FEMA, for the Air Force, for us, to be able to put onto our aircraft uh, that's able to provide uh, three div- three-dimensional video, if you will. Uh, to where it can be manipulated around. You can see uh, all the, uh, the various angles and aspects of buildings, front side, back side, all that, as the airplane's done its racetrack pattern up and down. Uh, and, uh, and not only uh, with the uh, visual imaging, but also with infrared capabilities as well.
0: So the, um, the majority of the search and rescue is going to come either from federal, state, local. I'm, I'm guessing occasionally Air Force.
1: Uh, it, uh, it's it starts local.
0: Okay.
1: Now the Air Force has the hammer. They have right. the uh, uh, the rescue uh, coordination center at uh, Tyndall Air Force Base. Right. Part of First Air Force. Uh, so uh, the requests will come in from the local level, from this through a state. But and you'll be st-
0: tasked through them.
1: Yeah. The state uh, for for us as the Air Force Auxiliary, they, they need to come to the Air Force and ask. For CAP to get involved in that particular mission,
0: we already talked about the secretary's relationship to the Civil Air Patrol. She was a goner. She had no. She was doomed from the start, wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she. Uh, <coughs> she.
1: Uh, well, I'm. I'm a. I'm a big fan. Uh, um, she was uh, previously the uh, congresswoman from New Mexico. That's where I live. I was the New Mexico wing commander, and uh, uh, I've. One particular time that I remember, I went out to a little bitty squadron in the middle of no place for one of their meetings and they were handing out a bunch of awards. Who was there uh, in the middle of no place handing out awards to our cadets was Heather Wilson. Uh, and uh, uh, She is someone who knows about and loves Civil Air Patrol. Her grandfather, who was a World War I aviator for the British. Uh, Immigrated to the United States uh, after World War I, uh, settled into New Hampshire, and uh, World War II era volunteer for CAP, became the New Hampshire uh, Wing Commander, Uh, but uh, he played an important uh, role in uh, the life of Heather Wilson as she was growing up. She had a great relationship with her grandfather, and uh, he really inspired her towards aviation. And he's the one that, she, as she tells us, uh, he, he's the one that she talked to about. So, what about this Air Force Academy type of thing? She went, and of course, the rest is history as uh, she is now serving as our secretary and doing wonderful things for the Air Force and the airmen, to include the volunteer airmen as well. It's, so, uh, she
0: didn't have to stumble into some salty old saber jock someplace. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No. Fantastic. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Airman Magazine Podcast. Big thanks to Major General Marquis e. Smith and to all those volunteers out there serving in the Civil Air Patrol. The Airman Podcast is a production of Defense Media Activity at Fort Meade, Maryland. Please check out the rest of our content at airman.dodlive.mil or search for us on iTunes, Vimeo, YouTube, Facebook, and Flickr. Thanks for listening. Until next time.